You're listening to Warriors in the Dust, the official Fink Desert Race podcast. So listen up now. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 8 of Warriors in the Dust. I hope you're well in these uncertain times. As we put this show together, Victoria is once again in lockdown due to a COVID-19 outbreak. And with the Fink Desert Race just two weeks away, it's a nervous wait for Victorians to see if they'll get to leave the state in time to get to the Northern Territory to race or watch. And that's not taking into account any isolating or quarantining that might be required. So keeping in mind that Warriors in the Dust is not a news service or an official source of information on COVID at all, I thought I'd just reiterate a couple of lines in a statement from the Fink Desert Race Committee President, Anthony Yoffa, uh, released on the 27th of May. In part, the statement reads, I encourage you all to keep across the Northern Territory Government's coronavirus website, coronavirus.nt.gov.au, and their Facebook for updates on hotspot declarations and any quarantine requirements. As you can probably understand, the Fink Office is being overwhelmed with inquiries. The answers to the vast majority of questions can be found on our website, in the Competition Supplementary Regulations, or on the NT's coronavirus website. Anthony Yoffa's statement reads, And referring to concerns from Victorians as to whether they'll be able to travel to the Northern Territory for the race, Anthony Yoffa, Fink Desert Race Committee President, says, That is something that is beyond our control, and we continue to monitor information from an official source. And that's uh, all I'll take from the statement there. But... So, so please keep that in mind, everyone. Keep yourself informed from official channels and what's happening is beyond the race committee's control. It sucks, it's stressful for everyone and we still hope for the best outcome for everyone. Now to this week's episode. Now, as we've discussed before on this podcast, the Fink Desert Race is a volunteer organised and run event. It simply wouldn't happen without the army of volunteers who carry out all the tasks that make the great race possible. So it's important to remember that whenever you competitors or supporters come into contact with them in the lead up to the weekend of racing or during it, uh, and maybe say a thank you or two. A couple of those volunteers happen to be Julie and Lance Thompson, who also happen to be a couple. They've been volunteering for a decade giving up their time to help out. So why? Julie and Lance Thompson, thanks for joining us. Welcome to Warriors in the Dust. Thank you. No worries. Thank you. Now, uh, what is it about the Fink Desert Race that keeps you coming back year after year? For me, it's the cars. I enjoy the cars, probably more than the bikes. But, yeah, um, we also do the water truck recovery down at Fink. So, yeah. Involved with a fair bit of it on that side of it, all uh, helping them, yeah, get all the tracks set up and that. We'll get to what you actually do, but uh, starting out with a controversial comment there, saying you like the cars over the bikes. <laughs> I think a lot, a lot of the fans say the bikes before the cars. But uh, Julie, <laughs> how about you? What keeps bringing you back? 
Oh, well, basically, a bit of a motorsport freak. Those that can't do talk, as you probably may agree, may not. Not in the case of the recall, of course, because we all bow down to the <laughs> recall, the original mullet man himself. Um, yeah, you can't beat the power of the buggies, you, the raw sheer power of the buggies, but I do give it to the heart and soul for the bike riders and, and the, some of the guys that we've seen over the years and they come across the line down there, break your heart type stuff. So, yeah, for the for the sheer excitement and the raw power, yeah, absolutely, um, cars. We come from a speedway background originally, so probably that's why we tend to go that way. But, yeah, heart and soul, you've got to give it to the bike guys and girls. Yeah, well, I, I love I love both. Um, so, how did you both get involved? Was it one first before the other, or both together? What happened? <laughs> um, no, definitely Julie started first, and then I got dragged in at a later stage. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. what well, you thought if you, if uh, if you had to see her, you you'd have to get involved, or what? What happened? <laughs> it's like um, everything. Julie. Yeah, Julie does a lot for the community around that and just being the husband, I get, just give me a hand to do this and then you're there and it's just left this and then, yeah, eventually yeah. you just become involved. And then you're full-time. And then you're full-time. <laughs> Julie, when, when when were you first involved and what were you doing? Oh, basically, I come from a, um announcing, talking background in the local radio station when they were doing the live broadcast actually went down the other end to do the crossovers there. That's how we originally started to volunteer for Fink itself. And as I said, coming from motorsport background, we actually have a motorsports-based show on the local radio station on Tuesday nights as well too. So went down there and then I'm not going to sit down there just for crossovers. So, of course, we had to help out and it just grew from there. And now we don't do the crossover side of it. We just go down purely to volunteer for the Fink Desert Race. So, yeah, good times. Right. So what, what are some of the jobs both of you have held over the years or done? I take water truck down and I water all the start-finish line for them, keep the dust down. I give the drinks, bottles of water, welcome people to think and just generally try and help out where you can, whatever need, putting fencing up, taking fencing down. Just, yeah, we're one of the first here and one of the last to leave usually because... We take all the recovery vehicles, anything broken down, we load up on semi-trailer and bring back up again. So, yeah, some nights, Julie and I don't leave there till 6, 7 o'clock Monday night by the time we're finished loading, we drive out of Fink. So, Lance, you work for a transport company, is that right? Yeah, yep, yep. No, I'd say my employers donate a truck, water truck, um, truck semi-trailer water cart and a flat top to take down there. So we can water the track, everything for them, keep the dust down. And then we, whatever broken down, cars, bikes, whatever, we put on the flat top, bring them back up and drop them out, start finish line for them. Competitors, because a lot of them come from interstate, obviously, and haven't got the capacity to recover their equipment from Fink. So we'll bring all that, their swags, everything back up for them. So what, what sort of load are you bringing back? How, how many uh, cars and bikes yeah. might you be bringing back that uh... – can't make the return trip themselves. Uh, we've gone from two bikes on a semi-trailer to two cars. Oh, shit, I think 16, 18 bikes. Quad. Um, yeah. 
times. We just can't get them all on. Is it a, is it a semi or a V double? Yeah, we take a road or? train down. We take water tanked and then um, flat top off the back. So we take two trailers down. Yep. Right. Wow. Yeah. So it's quite a few you have to deal with. Yeah. I mean, and, that's not including, of course, that's just from the think end. Of course, they have recovery all the way up and down the track too. But having Lance there with the 44 foot, foot flat top at least gives them a head start that, yeah, we'll take the bulk of them from the think end. And then, yeah, it's up to the individual trailers all the way up. Uh, have you got any interesting tales through the years? Is there something uh, a bit quirky or unusual that's happened that's uh, stuck in the mind? There are Every so many. Challenges, yeah. I don't know, I, without getting too emotional, I think last think one really stood out that we're there. I, um, Lance, as he said, we all got our own jobs. My, one of mine is to flag them off the next day. So we're in the middle of 600-odd bikes and it's all excitement and there's people around. You've got to imagine that you're absolutely in the middle of nowhere at a small Aboriginal community. And a lady approached me and said, oh, look, my husband's got to pull out of the race. Um, he can't make it back. No, well, that's not an unusual circumstance. That happens quite often. And then as she started to talk, it was actually a competitor that it was his bucket list to do thing, and he was suffering from terminal cancer. So that just brought me undone. There I am in tears on the uh, start line while she's telling me the story that he was just so happy because that's what he wanted to do before he left this earth was to make it to think on the bike. So. That one, yeah, that one kind of stays in the memory, I must admit. Yeah, I imagine so. And uh, if you've seen the movie or documentary There and Back, there's so many stories, isn't there? Um, Each competitor has their own story and uh, so many of them are are so compelling. No, absolutely. There I am hugging this complete stranger in the middle of all the excitement and, and we just didn't care. It was just one of those, yeah, moments in the big tough world of, the Think Desert Race, that was um, a pretty special moment. Of course, that that just swept up everyone else around us as well too, that we all went, that's why you volunteer for, for moments like that. It's just, yeah, that that one does. And, of course, you know, seeing them come for sign-in at 5 o'clock, the buggy guys and their eyes are hanging out of their head and they haven't had any sleep and, you know, the smaller guys are going to do all the work on the cars and they don't know how they're going to make it back. And it, <sighs> I mean, there's funny stories, but it's the heart and the soul that you're down there in the middle of nowhere. You don't have any luxuries whatsoever, and the competitors really don't. Freddie first-timers need to buckle up because they're in for a rude shock. Just just to be privileged enough to actually see that side of things, I think. I think that's why we keep going back. Really? How about you, Lance? Yeah. Is there anything that sticks in your mind? Yeah, no, just the everyday, mate. To be honest, like watching the first, Two and three cars come over the line. First two and three bikes come over the line every year. It's just, yeah, I'm watching, even down to watching the last bikes and cars come over the line and people just hopping off their bike and just shaking hands. Thanks for the water, mate. Like, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's heartwarming to watch them all, mate. Like, yeah, seeing people that, like Julie said, it's been their bucket list thing to do and, I don't think they realise just how far and how hard it is and they get to think and they're just, yeah, absolutely knackered, eh? <laughs> and uh, having watched those uh, knackered people for so many years, uh, do you think they're fools or admire them or is it a mix of, mix of both? <laughs> Probably mix of both, really. <laughs> I, I look at some of the bike guys and I think, why? 
why are you going to turn around? You realise you're going to turn around and do this all again tomorrow morning. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we definitely, we talked about it over the years, whether we would actually do it and what we would go in. And um, I think the Pickering guys have got the idea in the air conditioned and the radio and the, you know, power windows and the four wheel drive. That's definitely nice. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> we actually dudes with blisters on their hands and just blood noses where they've come off and you think, mate, like this is your weekend. You should be relaxing, mate, not <laughs> mashing yourself about, eh? Like your idea of fun and my idea of fun are two completely different things, eh? <laughs> Okay, and that's Julian Lance Thompson. Uh, we'll be getting back to their interview in a moment. Uh, but, of course, we have to pause in the program uh, to speak to Rick Hall, two-time Fink Desert Race winner, and get his tip. Rick, how are you this week? I'm great. Thank you, Murray, for asking. I'm really well. Um, getting closer to Fink now, getting very exciting. And, uh, and uh, yes, it's uh, it, the eyes are starting, the, well, the thoughts are starting to be cast for the great weekend, so it's good. And am I correct in uh, suggesting that some uh, competitors are starting to arrive in town? Yes, definitely, mate. Interestingly enough, uh, Ben Grabham's been staying with me for uh, a few days now and he's wanting to race. So uh, hopefully he gets in because uh, he'll bring a, bring something special to that race that he's done so in the past. And uh, it'll be interesting to see him go out and have some fun. I believe if he does get in, uh, it, it would be a late entry and i saw some discussion on social media about that some in favor he's a four-time winner and he deserves his place others saying well you know if he didn't get his entry in on time what's your thoughts well we as previous winners and we're given the opportunity to enter before the entries actually open um but unfortunately when you're six months out um no one knows what they're doing in six months so i i understand the arguments both for and against but i guess he's earned the right to be there um and to be perfectly frank we've never started with a full field of 650 because there's that many people that pull out in the last week that uh, that there's never a full field of competitors so so i mean I, at the end of the day it will make no difference excluding him from the race it'll just it'll bring so so much more for having a previous winner there and i think there's only one other previous winner in the bikes racing. So it'll be good to have a couple in there just to mix it up. And uh, we should declare that we did speak to uh, Ben Grabham in uh, episode five, and, and that is a, a great interview, if I may say so, and a, a lot a lot to learn from him. So a four-time winner, he's a bit of a legend. I, I think he, he really should get a run myself personally. Lovely to say that, Murray, and I totally agree. And we've just spoken to, well, you've just spoken to, to Lance and Julie Thompson, and they've been volunteers and they're big, big, uh, big fans of the Fink Desert Race, and they they get around motorsport all the time, and uh, it's great to great to hear from them. They've uh, spent a lot of time down at the Fink end of the track, um, but we should get to your tip, Rick. What have you got for us this week? Mate, uh, it's probably surrounds fuel stops. So I, I think the uh, people that are, are going in the fuel stops and they've got a team down there, both the first and the second fuel stop, 
they have to remember that those people are there particularly for them and not to uh, be impatient and not to uh, be unreasonable. Just pull in there, stay relaxed, get your fuel, have a drink, change your goggles um, and uh, and think about think about the next stage of your riding as opposed to rushing them because they're there totally for you. The one thing I, I thought about was uh, don't embarrass yourself re-entering the course. Don't don't <laughs> bump into anybody. It's simple things yes. like that. Don't forget the simple things. Correct, mate. And I know a fast fuel stop can uh, can uh, can put you in front of a rider that you may be battling with, but also be mindful that there could be a rider coming along the track, as you just said. So you don't want to pull out in front of them. Um, but you just use that that you know twenty or thirty seconds just to take the take a breather and get that fuel into your bike and have a good drink and make sure your goggles are on and uh, reset yourself for the next you know seventy or eighty k's. Have you get got any tips as far as refueling yourself during the race? Um, I know there's uh, certain protein bars or uh, I can't gels. I think they call them. Um, you know, there's your power aids and the like. Um, what do you recommend? Um, there, there's a lot of guys using gel shots. I never used any of those. Um, people who use bananas, which is a is another great one. Uh, I I just took on water. Um, and if you want to want to use use anything else, I generally think water mixed with a with an electrolyte of some sort some sort at 50% will give you the best of both worlds. I guess I pull in with a dry mouth and just want to replenish my fluids and then get going. So, so yeah, just trying to be level headed about what you, what you do and don't do. It's a fine art measuring how much you take on before the leg of the race. I guess you want to be hydrated, but not busting, (laughs) busting on the way down. Oh, mate, I don't think you'd have too many fluids actually before a race like Fink um, because you do, over the over the distance, uh, you're two hours on the bike, you get quite dehydrated. So get as many fluids as you can into you, your body, you know, 24 or 48 hours from the race. And, uh, and yeah, if a byproduct is having to go to the toilet more often than you should, so be it. Just make sure you have those fluids on board and you're really well hydrated. I've been sitting on the line with about three minutes to go and I'll have my helmet off and just getting those last, last second fluids into my body. Cause I know, uh, I know I, I exert, I'm not the most naturally gifted rider, so I exert more energy than anyone else, but uh, it's, it's good to know that you've maximized your intake. Good on you, Rick. And um, keeping in mind that people could listen to this podcast at any stage, but uh we are recording it with a couple of weeks to go and uh, the excitement starting to build. Of course, people in Victoria, a lot of uncertainty surrounding that. Uh, keep listening and watching your, your uh, official channels to see what you are allowed to do and what you can do. And hopefully, hopefully everybody can get to the start line and uh, do what they've been planning for so long. Yeah, it'd be great to, to know that um, all the Victorian competitors can get here and, uh, and have a great time and uh, what a what a bummer for them if they can't it's i feel really sad for them actually because you put so much effort into this on so many levels that to have something like this happen last minute is is just so disappointing for them and uh, yeah like i said i hope they can get here
Good on you, Rick. Thanks again for your contribution this week. Thank you, Murray. Thanks for having me, champion. No worries. And that's uh, Rick Hall with his tip this week. And uh, in a moment, back to Julian Lance Thompson. Is there any uh, particular advice you'd give uh, firstly to competitors? Is there some advice that you'd say, having watched so many, uh, when they get to Fink, is there something they really need to know about? Yeah, where the camp is, mate. (laughs) They all get there and I've got no idea where they're going. So, mate, I'm here. Yeah, good on you, mate. Where do I go? Mate, you planned this four months ahead. No one told you. Yeah, go 3K down that way, mate. Go on that side. You follow the road. You just think, how come no one's told his where he's a camping? Yeah. (laughs) They do, but they just don't take notice. They're bike riders. What do you do? I don't know. My advice probably would be to the, not so much the riders, which it does involve them, but to the crew as well too. I don't know how many times um, the bike rider or car hasn't made it down there and they've got the wife down there that set up the tent and everything else and she's down there pacing. She doesn't know where what's going on. Finally find out that he's back in Alice. Well, he's got no way to get into his motel. He's got no nothing else. So she's got to pack up everything down there, travel up in the dark because you can't go up the track cross out to Colgra because they haven't made any arrangements for anything in town. So absolutely 100% make some arrangement because not everyone makes it down there and not everyone makes it back here either. So you are going to break down, crash, whatever else, have contingencies at both ends. Well, great advice. probably my biggest advice. Yeah. yeah. And to the wives, to the wives and the girlfriends, the um, Fink checkpoint's not just a checkpoint. We're also there for competitor relations and if you are down the other end and you worry about your partner come and see us we're there to try and help out the family as much as we are the competitor as well too and we'll try and yeah help you out as much as we can down the other end i know it's the desert and uh it's a long track so there is a limit to what you can do but there is also some good information wouldn't there because uh they are ticked off as they pass through checkpoints. So there's, there is the possibility that you will have some information to share. Exactly right. In saying that, probably one of the biggest frustrations I find each year is competitors coming up to the checkpoint wanting to know where they're starting in the morning and having to explain to them, mate, that's not our priority right now. We want to make sure everyone's safe and sound. So if you can somehow get the word out there, that their start times will be taken down to the kitchen and put up. Don't panic. No one's going to take off without you knowing in the morning. But our emphasis is on making sure everything and everyone is accounted for. And in saying that, I'd love one year that there's not a bike rider that doesn't sneak in the bottom end of the camp and doesn't come and tell us at the checkpoint that they're there. That would be really, really good. No matter how many times they say it at riders' briefing, every year. We have two or three very clever people that don't seem to think that they want to come and tell us at the checkpoint that they're safe. So we're up till 10, 11 o'clock trying to find bike riders. And meanwhile, they're tucked in their swags down at the camp. It doesn't no, go over real well. It's a really important message. I mean, uh, the, the organisation is doing their best to take care of everybody and they want to account for everybody. And, of course, you've mentioned there the loved ones want to know that everybody's okay. So, 
yeah, please uh, make sure if uh, something has happened, so you haven't gone through all the checkpoints and arrived at Fink mm-hmm. and been ticked off safely, then please make sure that you let somebody know. And it's a great rule of thumb out in the desert anyway, or the bush is to, to let people know where you're going and when you'll be back and that you've arrived. So, yeah, very good Absolutely. advice. There. Absolutely. I mean, you can imagine they might go through a checkpoint and there might be 15 odd bikes go through in a 30 second space. Your transponder might have fallen off as well, too. So it's really, really important. No matter if you tell old mate down at the camp to tell this one, to tell the checkpoint that you're here, no, you physically come and say good day to us and let us know that you're okay. I mean, I know there's been years where Lancers run backwards and forwards and run um, wives down and all through the camp to try and find the other half and vice versa because there is a 3K difference between the camp and the checkpoint. But I'm to understand that we do have mobile communications down there this year, so that might make it a little bit easier, but yeah. Now, you said the uh, start times for the morning uh, are put up at the kitchen at, mm-hmm. at the Fink end. Uh, can you just tell us what you mean by that? Is that at, at the official campsite? Is that what you mean? Yeah, we actually have them up at the checkpoint and we take them down to what we call the kitchen. So that's where all the catering is when you buy the um, meals. There's a central place for the kitchen there, which is near the toilet, et cetera. We'll actually take it down and post it up there, so. So, you usually know when that happens because it's a big buzz. Yeah. Yeah. So if com- if competitors aren't camping at the official campsite, that's where they can go anyway or at the uh, checkpoint to find out what time, whether it's cars or bikes, what time they'll be starting mm. in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. Is there some other advice? I mean, uh, you are s- staying uh, in a beautiful part of the world please clean up after yourself, something like that? Have you seen uh, some mess left behind? <laughs> Lance? Yeah, first thing in the morning when you're about to take off, we all know you're nervous, you're lining up and all that, but don't just throw your bottle of water on the ground. Like Seriously, if you're going to have a drink or a muesli bar and all that negative energy, but walk to the bin, not that big of area. Someone will hold your bike, just take the... the have it just throwing everything on the ground and being volunteers before we leave. It's going to look like it was before we started there. So we spend hours walking around, picking up, cleaning up. Yeah, you wouldn't do it at home. Why do it there? Given you'll be driving the uh, water truck, Lance, can you guarantee there'll be no dust? Pretty much can guarantee that, yeah. <laughs> it's a big water tank. It's 40,000 litres of water. We can't find there every, every time we run around. So, yeah. Uh, uh, good. Uh, <laughs> Glenn Oric. Glenn Oric normally does the dri- uh, dri- drivers and riders brief every think down there, and his favourite thing to say is, you know, thank GNS Transport and Lance for the water truck. You won't have dust for the first two hundred metres. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a that's a pretty good stretch. In, that's uh, it. After that, <laughs> that, well, that leaves two hundred and twenty nine. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> kilometers and 900 meters or something like that yeah <laughs> love it love it fantastic and uh and i mean and to add further to lancers it's not just down there you know a couple of years we've gone out and helped clean up the first 30ks from town campers take your stuff with you everyone knows these are working cattle stations as well too one year we went out there to help clean up and what we found was pretty ordinary 
I'd like to think that the messages got through that if you're going to get that cheap lounge off the buy swap cell, take it home with you. Don't leave your rubbish out there. Cattle aren't interested in eating your empty beer bottles. If you had room to take it out there, you've got room to take it home. So please take your rubbish with you. Yeah, and it doesn't disappear. It's a golden rule. If you take it in, take it out. Yep. Have you got any concerns up there? I mean, there's been the dramatic news today. Uh, I'm actually based in Melbourne and uh, we're in, back into lockdown down here. And uh, have you got any concerns up there about the COVID and uh, what might happen? We've really had no dramas up here with COVID, to be honest. Um, yeah, I hope everything goes fine. Yeah. I know it's a big issue when we look at the Facebook sites and everything else and everyone's in panic mode. Unfortunately, it is what it is. We really hope that after your seven-day lockdown that things might change. Um, I know there's a bit of, you know, bravado talking that they're going to come anyway and they're going to try and come through the back way. You're going to a remote Aboriginal community where we've worked really hard in the NT to keep it out of communities, keep it out of the NT. We've had no, still had no community transmissions in the Northern Territory and we'd like to keep it that way. And as much as we'd love to see all you guys, it's really not worth it. Um, heed to the advice and it's just one more year. Hey, it'll make it even better next year if it turns out that way. We're all crossing our fingers, of course, and hoping for the best for you guys. But at the end of the day, we want to keep it at zero community transmissions. So, totally yeah. agree. Totally agree. Everybody do the right thing. Um, err on the side of caution. Um, it's not just you. You've got to think of. It's other people, vulnerable people. So, Yes, uh, totally agree. And um, hopefully it'll turn up roses in uh, seven days' time. Have yeah. you, have you uh, been able to, have you forged some great uh, relationships, friendships over the years, whether that be with other volunteers or, or people you see coming back year after year? Absolutely, I have. <laughs> I know I have. Lance is a bit well-known down there as, the, you know, the six-foot-four guy that he's the most happiest person that they've ever seen and if you actually knew Lance you'd know that wasn't quite the case but we hear often off from bike riders and and car riders that you know that's the sexiest thing they've ever seen is big Lance down there year after year welcoming him into Fink um, but volunteers I mean we've had a couple that have been down there long term uh, Andrew McGouchy, Glenn Oric of course he's unbelievable Tyler's um, but made quite a few friendships over the years and it's, you know, it's motorsport in general, really, isn't it? Different crowd. Good crowd. And yeah. Lance, are you the sexiest, happiest man alive? No, I don't think so. No. <laughs> I found my bottle of water, mate, and say good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not entering the argument either way. I, I can't confirm nor deny. Um <laughs> Well, it's been, it's been wonderful speaking to you. Any other tales, tall tales or true that you'd uh, like to share with us? Oh, no. I, I am going to have to send you a photo of a very young recall that oh, you yes. can uh, put out there, like Most an eight-year-old well. recall. Wow. Uh, we always have a joke with Rick that, you know, nobody wants to know him throughout the year until it comes to think time. <laughs> and then he's the recall so yeah absolutely i just want to give a shout out to all the locals i know there's not many local bike riders there's only probably what 32 33 locals um really hope they do well 
as well and everybody else that's coming from near and far um make sure you think of volunteer because there's a lot of volunteers and it is not a walk in the park it's it's a very hard slog and we only do it just so all you guys and girls are happy at the end of the day yes any last words lance no, nah, yeah, I'd like to welcome everyone and wish them all luck and hope they make it there and back safe. Yes, well, I'd just like to say uh, thank you for all the hard work you do. Uh, it is a wonderful event and it's only a wonderful event because of the volunteers and it is a huge event. So I thank you uh, for doing all that work. And uh, as I said in the introduction, if uh, people are coming here from uh, – interstate or even locals uh, why not thank the volunteer you'll see them around doing this and that sometimes small tasks sometimes big important ones and they help keep you safe and they give you a great event to compete in so well done to you both and everybody else excellent thanks no for that. no worries guys and thank you very much uh for joining us on warriors in the dust that's lance and julie thompson Well, there you have it, folks. Remember to say a thank you to the volunteers when you see them. The Fink Desert Race wouldn't happen without them. I'll say thank you to Julie and Lance Thompson. If you're lucky enough to make it to Fink, you'll see them around the checkpoint there, helping to account for everyone and keeping the show on the road. Thanks also to Rick Hall for his contribution, as usual. Most appreciated. And to the Victorians, desperately waiting to see if they'll escape the grips of COVID-19 to get to the Northern Territory, the best of luck to you. We're hoping the lockdown is lifted and you do get to the race. I'm Murray Silby, and in these uncertain times, remember to stay safe, be happy, and go fast. You've been listening to Warriors in the Dust, the official Fink Desert Race podcast. Move along now.